At The Bunker, we want to engage in conversation with those that are all in in the pursuit of their life's passion, in particular, in the intersection of sports, movies, TV, and tech. Today, we're fortunate to have as our guest a lifelong friend and a walking sports encyclopedia, Jorge Martin. We were competitors early on in elementary school, and we eventually became friends in high school at Alameda High School in the San Fernando Valley. And like most kids, we parted ways for college, and that's where Jorge began to forge his path as a sports journalist. For years and years after college, he worked in various industries, and in 2005, he earned his big break when he joined the Los Angeles Dodgers as director publications. Jorge has now leveraged all of that professional and fanboy experience, pouring both of them all into his recently launched podcast, Familia FFB with his cousins Hector Reyes and Ricky Torres. The three cousins debate and dissect any and everything fantasy football and NFL, making sure to absolutely blow away all of their competitors' picks while also reminiscing about growing up in a huge, tight-knit family. And even though Jorge is the founder of Familia FFB. On today's episode, we'll primarily focus on the LA Dodgers' recent World Series win. Jorge's lifelong affiliation is not only a fan, but also as a member of the Dodgers organization as he worked alongside legendary Hall of Famers, as well as current players that, in my humble opinion, are a lock for MLB's Hall of Fame. And then we'll go all in in comparing this year's champions to our sentimental favorite Dodger teams from our childhood. Enjoy. Let's talk a little bit about your background, because even though we're going to have you back many more times to speak on FFB, I want to, since I'm an LA guy, you're an LA guy, there's something obviously magical happening in LA with regard to our sports scene. Yes. You know, the Lakers were able to pull it off in this short, kind of a funky season, but it still goes down as a chip. And then all of a sudden, these guys came about. (laughs) And this young man right here, charge along with our old school guy with Kershaw and Kenley, our old school guys, these young cats that we have on the list, and the middle ground guys, Turner, um, of course, Bellinger, and Seeger, man. Seeger came. He was huge. Phenomenal. And not to mention how lucky you were we or the Dodgers to fall into a Mookie Betts of all people one of the baddest dudes top two three in the league the last four or five years and we get this guy and all of a sudden it's like you guys better win <laughs> you, you better make sure you win it's I so actually funny oh. bought a funky glove and was playing with, with my son in this little league game and I don't know if you can see how I, beautiful uh, I actually put my that's my actual bat from guardian angel little league uh-huh. that was the first Louisville slugger my dad purchased for me way back in the day <laughs> and um I hung it up on my wall in honor of the Dodgers coming through for the first time since uh Fernando and Hershiser were around <laughs> so anyway <laughs> man I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Dodgers tell us a little bit about your history you have this massive history with the Dodgers. Not only were you a fan, you grew up in the shadows of the Dodgers over here in the San Fernando Valley like I did in Pacoima, California. And, um, you know, it's one of those things, man, where anytime I want to know something about the Dodgers, even though I'm a lifelong fan, I always want to drop something on you because I know you always add these little tidbits to me. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, that's that's new. So give us a little bit of a history of your progression from being a fan to actually being employed with the Dodgers. And then we'll be fanboys for a second and talk about what happened this year. Oh, man. Well, you know, first game, I went to was 1975. My t-ball team went. Ironically, they were the we were the Giants, 
And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed the experience, but it didn't grasp me yet. And then some, for some reason, summer 19, you know, the spring of 1977, something grabbed hold of me. I was, I was still nine. And I mean, I just, I could not consume enough baseball and it was Dodger baseball, Garvey, Lopes, Russell, Say, Don Sutton, Tommy John, Steve Yeager, Dusty Baker, I, I mean, Reggie Smith, Rick Monday. I mean, Rick all Monday. of those guys, all of those guys, they just, they became, they, they became a part of the wallpaper of my home. I mean, my mom also, I think that's what's always been special about that. My mom fell in love with baseball the same time I did. We would listen, we would sit and listen to the games when they weren't on TV, which when they were home, they were never on TV. And, uh, and it just became just this special thing. And that team was special. That team won the division going away. They won an incredible uh, NLCS against the Phillies, against the great Phillies team. Mike and Schmidt. then, and the, yeah, Mike Schmidt, Larry Boa, Manny Trio. I mean, just all of these guys were, were just you know fantastic ball players Bob Boone Steve Carlton but you know when they won and then they went up against the dreaded Yankees and Reggie yeah. Jackson tore my heart out but you know what and one of the things that I learned was that's when I knew it got because it hurt it hurt because it hurt that's how I knew that it was special and so I stayed on it and but because of that team the 1977 team I became a fan I became a fan of all sports I became a Ram fan I became a Laker fan and and those sports, they gripped me, but there was something about baseball being my first love. You know, I just kept going. The Dodgers went back to the World Series again in 1978 and they, the Yankees broke our heart again. But in 1981, Fernando Mania, which being a child of Mexican parents, to have Fernando Mania, to have a Mexican kid, 20 years old, didn't know the English language, but that dude knew how to pitch. That showed me, you know what? You can do anything you want and you don't have to feel limited by your background or Clyde, my mom, your dad, they worked at General Motors, blue collar jobs. Father worked in construction. It showed me that, hey, you know what? Go for it. I wanted to be a sports writer. Got to do it. Got Did it while I was in college. Became a staff writer at the LA Daily News. And next thing I was on, going on and I, I kept at it, kept writing within my career path. I published publications for DirecTV. I did different type of communications in the health insurance industry. Sports was always there. And then in 2005, I found out about this position opening up, a friend of mine sent this to me and he said, Hey, I think this is you. And it was the publications director with the Dodgers. And I just thought, you know, and I, I had a friend who was on the inside, the team historian for the Dodgers, uh, Mark Langell. Hey, Mark. I called him up and I said, is this for real? Or is this just one of those jobs that they've already got the, the candidate? He said, no, it's very much real. Somebody left recently and there's no inside candidate. You know, I even asked him, you're not going for it? He goes, no, I'm very happy doing what I'm doing. I went for it. Wouldn't you know it? The kid from Pacoima got the gig. They wanted someone who spoke Spanish because they wanted someone to be able to connect with the Latino players. And next thing I know, I'm surrounded by my heroes. One of my first days there, I see Jaime Jarin at a, uh, at a press conference and I go and introduce myself and we're now friends to this day. You know, I met Fernando at a, at a luncheon and I told him about a game where I went to. Not only did he throw a shot out, but he also hit a triple with bases loaded. He gets a big smile on his face and he says, that's the only triple I ever hit in my career. 17 oh, years wow. in the major leagues and the only triple he hit in his career. Really? So we, uh, you know, and it was just, it, it just became such special eight years of my life where all of my boyhood heroes came to life. It just became special. The, the, all the members of the infield, I 
I, I met them and proud to say, I, if I don't call them, I don't consider them a friend. I can say I'm friendly with them. Uh, Dusty mm-hmm. Baker, you know, I've still got the picture that he sent me when I was 10 years old that he signed. I told him about that picture and he just laughed and he just said, it's so funny to hear people tell me that they were fans of me when they were kids and now they've got kids. And so, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it just became such a special time because uh, I, be, I was Peter Pan. I didn't have to grow up. I got mm-hmm. to relive my youth and see so many of the players that I grew up watching, but I also got to see the new generation. People come up. I met Clayton Kershaw two months after his 18th birthday. He just got mm-hmm. he just gotten selected by the Dodgers right out of high school in Texas. They made it, I think it was the number seven pick in the draft. You know, I remember, I still remember him telling me how on the flight to uh, LA, he uh, popped in a video of Dodger history that someone had given him so that he could actually learn about it. And next thing you know, the, two years later, he's making Dodger history and a uh, special person. You mentioned Kenley Jansen earlier. I knew him when he was a catcher. Blows a lot of people away when they find that stat out. Oh, it's 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 phenomenal. This is, so it's 2008 and I was uh, flying back east to go to go to spring training at Dodger Town in Vero Beach. The, this was going to be the last year that the Dodgers were training in, in Florida. And so uh, in legendary Dodger Town, you either flew in to Orlando or you flew into Fort Lauderdale and someone went to pick you up. I took a red eye and I flew. So first thing in the morning, I'm in Fort Lauderdale Airport. The driver pick, comes by to pick me up and, and you never knew if you were getting picked up with multiple people or just one. So, you know, I, I see the guy and he goes, oh, we, I thought, oh, is there anybody else? No. And I said, great. And he goes, and just when I'm thinking, oh, we're going straight to Dodger Town, he said, oh, but we do have one more stop. We got to go to Miami to go pick up a minor leaguer. And I thought, oh man, Miami is one hour away mm-hmm. from Dodger Town. Right. So you know what? Right. It's fine. It's fine. All of a sudden I co- come up and I just see this mountain of, of a man, 20 years old. This guy's 6'5", 250. Still got baby fat on his on his cheek. Mm-hmm. I reach out to shake his hand, and I thought his name was Kelly Johnson because uh, he has a very <laughs> thick accent. Nicest kids got you know he doesn't he doesn't have the dread he didn't have the dreadlocks that he has mm-hmm. now. I mean he just short short haircut, uh, just the biggest smile, and just chatted away. He's you know from Curacao, telling me how the Dodger he was so happy that the Dodgers had just signed to Andrew Jones, was an All Star with the Braves, didn't work out with the Dodgers, but he was so happy because it was country. Men. We're talking, and this was probably a three-hour drive that we were going. And I'm sitting there thinking, and I finally figured out that his name was Ken Lee Jansen. And mm-hmm. I, I, I sat there, and I'm like, okay, well, I keep an eye on the minor league system of the Dodgers. Why have I not heard of this guy? All he kept telling me about was, oh, you know, last year I caught the best pitcher I ever caught. Yeah, have you heard of Clayton Kershaw? This was Clayton Kershaw in A ball. So, you know, I just his first full year in the minor leagues. You know, I shake his hand, I wish him good luck, I told him to stay healthy. And I go back into the offices and I thought, I got to figure out who this kid is. And I looked at his batting average and I was like, oh, this is why I haven't heard about this kid. You know, it was like 180, 212, 175. I'm like, this guy can't hit. I'm never going to see this guy again. Never (laughs) going to see this guy again. Next thing I know, a year later, I found out that they switched him to pitcher, that they converted him. I just thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Almost a year to the day after he was converted to pitching, he's in the major leagues. And of all things, in his second game, he saved a one nothing victory for guess who? Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw. That's crazy. <laughs> so Those two I mean, guys I, have to be lifted up there with uh, all time greats. I mean, I know people such as Koufax and Drysdale are legendary. Fernando Sutton, uh, Tommy John. 
I can never say that without the nasal Vin Scully thing. Um, <laughs> I think, especially now, those two, they have to be in that pantheon. Why not? Yeah. I mean, you uh, Kershaw is just as accomplished as any pitcher not named Sandy Koufax. And you know what? He has got, Sandy Koufax has three Cy Young Awards. Kershaw has three Cy Young Awards. Koufax has one MVP. Kershaw has got one MVP. Where Mr. Koufax has him is he's got four World Series rings. Uh, mm. Kershaw now has one, but uh, I mean, it's special. And the thing is, the thing that I think is wonderful is the two of them have developed a, just a wonderful relationship, a friendship that spans generations. And there mm-hmm. are things that, that Koufax has kind of shared with Kershaw that really they're only the two of them are going to experience. It's special to see them. It's funny in 2013, the Dodgers had just beaten the Braves. And I remember seeing Koufax go up to Kershaw to give him a big hug. And I was just standing there, you know, right next mm-hmm. to them because I wanted to congratulate both of them. And next thing I know, somebody put a pic, took a picture of that embrace. It was trending on the internet, uh, you know, on Twitter that night and all over the internet the next day. Right. And people would be like, is this you in the background? I'm like, yes, that's me. <laughs> yes, I've, I've, I've got some champagne on my head and it was wonderful. But yeah, and so I got to do it and it was wonderful because I got to share that so much uh, with my family. I mean, I I was so happy that you and your father joined, came out for a game that day. It was a wonderful game. Matt Kemp hit a walk-off home run to win it on one of the hottest days of the year. I remember that. (laughs) But uh, we sat in the shade, which was great. (laughs) Oh, that was, I I was so happy that that the shade was working out that day. Actually, yeah, it was great because I got the, when the game went to extra innings, I said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not doing anything else for the you know for the rest of this game so i'm hanging out with you guys and watching the game and enjoyed the hell out of it but I remember that day that was a blast it was uh so yeah it was it was great and you know it, it, it doing that it reminded me you know the love of sports is always something that i've got to stay with me i mean the one thing that did elude me was being there for a world series victory we came close a couple times with making it far in the playoffs just didn't get end up getting to the world series but i tell you you know the memories that i made of that during those days, I think completely priceless. The friendships I made at that place are, are you know, with me to this day and will be there till the day I die because there's certain bond that, and you know it from, uh, you know, there, there's bonds that you have with pl- with people you played with, you know, mm-hmm. going back to grade school that are special. You know, this being a part of the Dodgers, being a part of something that was so much bigger than us, that was this civic, that is the civic treasure that people just love. And we got to be the voices for it. You know, you know, there's no greater voices than Vince Scully and Hamarine, but we got to help, you know, continue on certain traditions. And it, and it was great for me to be able to, you know, tell so many people's stories through the, through the publications that I was in charge of and created. And it was, uh, yeah, just, uh, just a wonderful time in my life. I'm never going to forget. I'm glad my kids were able to be old enough to uh, enjoy it. My twins uh, were six years old when I left the organization. They got to experience uh, certain things and that one wonderful, wonderful time, wonderful time. You know, it's interesting, all those years you spent in the organization and even before as a fan. One thing I've I've noticed, especially with the pandemic with everyone playing in these bubbles. I actually think that the product that was put on the field, at least from a television, watching it on television, that from that perspective, football translates quite easily. They've become, oh. they meaning the leagues and the television, the broadcasters have become adept at making sure that the right fan noise, types of sounds that we're accustomed to, the types of cheering, not just some big roar every single time, but if it's an interception and it's a home team and it's a, if it's a, a caught pass and if they run for this, 
this and if they're not the home team. It's seamless now. I don't even think about it. Basketball is the only one I think had to do something a little bit different because it's the only of the three major American sports. The fans are such, in a way, especially on on television, the fans are kind of a much more a bigger part of the product. They're right on top of them. Exactly. You you have have people sitting right there. If you're going for a ball out of bounds in basketball, you can run into someone and knock over their beer, which happens a lot. Can't do that in baseball, really. And football, you can't do it. That's that's not going to happen. But the video screens, I had just complete polar opposite reactions from people in basketball, the presentation of basketball, where they put the screens of people up there in the stands. I enjoyed it. Most people I know did not. They didn't think it translated at all. But I thought the level of play was pretty high. Baseball, to me, is going to do, I believe, very well. How old is Mookie Betts? 28. The fact that you said 20, that guy's still in his 20. I think what's happened with LeBron James and Tom Brady is going to bleed into other sports. Baseball, you tend to have more longevity anyway. Mm -hmm. But I think what's happening now in the presentation and the guys they have playing in baseball right now, I actually think they're going to get back to a heavy schedule. No matter what's happening in the country next year, I think these guys are going to get into a heavy schedule. It may not be 162 games. It may be 100 games. I think that, what do we do, 60 this time? 60, yes. I thought the product was fantastic. And baseball makes the vast majority of its money from just game after game after game. I'm 162 Mm -hmm. per team times how many teams in the league? 30. (laughs) You know, most of them have some sort of regional television network dedicated to every single home game and most of the away games. So the amount of inventory that baseball accumulates every single year is tremendous. It makes for the wagering opportunities that are, I know Tennessee just came through a day or two ago. So many other dominant are going to fall in the next year as far as the wagering space. When people put more money on it, FFB, when you guys talk about the fantasy football aspect, it makes for a much more in-tuned fan. Mm-hmm. I think baseball is going to really benefit from that next year. That rookie for the Rays, I, every, time oh. he came up, <laughs> every time he came up to bat, that was a problem. And this kid is what, 23? 23 or 24. He's young. So he's going to be an absolute menace, more so than some of these big Yankees. I think this kid from the Rays is going to be special. Like Mike Trout level, he has the potential. Just feared, you know, everywhere he goes. Mike Trout's not been on a winning team, really. But he's feared every time he comes up. You know, that guy is feared. This guy, uh, what was his name? from the Randy, Ar- Randy Rosarena. And the interesting thing is, Rosarena. he didn't get called up to the major leagues until August. Till the end, yes. So it's just like, he's yes. in the major leagues for the first time in August. And, you know, <laughs> a little more than a month later, he's tearing up the, tearing up the uh, playoffs. I mean, just amazing. Just amazing. He had one of the most incredible Octobers I've ever seen. A case could have been made for that yeah. guy to be the MVP. Oh, very much. So he was on the losing the team. Series, he wins the MVP. Yes. Even though he was on the World losing series. team, he was special. Oh, <laughs> he time. was really, really good. So, so I'm looking at the health of our three primary sports. I think it's going to be incredible. I think the dipping the toe in the water of these bubble type situations, I actually mm-hmm. think that was good for them to do. Football is going to be incredible. You know, it, it's going to, it's going to, I think, get bigger and bigger and bigger, whether fans are in the stadium or not, regardless if fans are in the stadiums or not. Um, because we're primarily, especially from a television perspective, we're primarily focused pretty close and you rarely see fans unless they cut away to fans. Baseball, you somewhat see the fans when someone's at bat. You know, that they'll work on that. Right. But these 
these guys are trying to kill each other in baseball in a great way. You know, they were really competing at a high level. And that's the number one thing. Football, you saw these two guys fighting in football the other day. So <laughs> I ran up to the other guy. I, I, that's what I like. That to me lets me know that these guys are back in it here. That to me, it's going to help the fans out a lot. It's going to, it's going to keep people glued to the screen over the next several weeks to the end of the football season. So when baseball is ready to come back, regardless if fans are in the stands or not, I still think it's going to be a great product. They may only do a hundred games. You have an Olympic year coming up too. So they may change things. I think the NBA is going to have the toughest time to be honest, but the, the level of play at least is at a, is at a high level. So you named our 1978, 77, 78 team, Jaeger, Garvey, Lopes, Russell Say, Dusty Baker, Rick Monday, and Reggie Smith, and then our two studs on the mound, Sutton and Tommy John. I know they kind of hold a special place in your and my heart. How would you compare them, even though they didn't win, just talent-wise from one through nine to just before we won the World Series? I guess we got to say that because those guys didn't win win a World Series, but the Rays were not comparable to the Yankees of 77, 78 either. (laughs) So no one was going to beat. That was the Michael Jordan's Bulls, basically, that the Dodgers ran into. Um, And so no excuses, but it's very difficult for me to give these guys a leg up. I guess, I guess I'm just babbling because it's an emotional play more than a, an objective play. What do you think? Well, uh, the thing, you know, I, as you were asking the question, I was kind of going through my head, you know, position by position, who I would have, who I would rank first. Who would you or, replace? Right. I didn't uh, even think yeah. of that perspective. So, yeah. you know, I sit there and like, uh, you know, Garvey, as good as Max <clears throat> Muncy was, nobody's going to beat Garvey. Um, <clears throat> I think Davey Lopes you put him over over either the two guys that you know Chris Taylor Kike Hernandez Gavin Lux who, who played a little bit Corey Seager is you know Bill Russell I love you but uh, Corey Seager is the guy and you know you got at third base you got an older That's Justin Turner uh, mm-hmm. an older Justin Turner against Ron Say in his prime I, I'm giving it to Ron Say I think, I think Ron okay. Say is the greatest third baseman in Dodger history Brooklyn mm-hmm. and LA so that's saying something to me he's one of the most underrated great players of all time right there you're going through position by position that's three out of four you're giving it the late 70s Dodgers behind the plate Will Smith Austin Barnes you give it to them over Steve Yeager much as I love Yeager incredible behind the plate um, struck out a lot he had for some power but just that was really it you get to the outfield you got AJ Pollock and, and Jock Peterson in left field I think you still give it to Dusty mm-hmm. center field you give it to Bellinger over Rick Monday uh, Mo I love you too but I, I think love Reggie Mo- Smith I, but I, I love Reggie Smith no but way. Mookie, Mookie Betts Mookie <laughs> bets Yes. Could by the time he's done, he could go down as the greatest Dodger, mm. uh, if not the greatest Dodger ever, at least the, the greatest right fielder in, in Dodger mm-hmm. history, maybe even the greatest outfielder in Dodger history. And you're talking Duke Snyder. You're talking about Tommy Davis. You're talking about mm-hmm. Raul Mondesi. You're talking about Baker. You're talking about Smith. I mean, just some phenomenal players. But Mookie Betts, I think, plays a game. He's playing a different game yeah. than, than everybody else. He's chess. Everybody else is checkers. Mm-hmm. He's thinking the game ahead of the pitcher. He's instinctually being able to, the play he made in game six, where he basically, you know, the player, I forget who it was, hit a ground ball to first base and he was gone on contact. He barely slides in, beats the throw. That's a combination of brains and blinding speed that mm-hmm. you may only have in five guys in the major leagues. One of the other guys being Mike Trout. There's 
nothing that on the baseball field. Now, when you look at him, he's 5'9", 180 pounds. And he does not look like, when he's wearing something baggy, he looks like just like a skinny kid who's just you know, out of high school. He's so incredibly skilled and there's no, is literally no weakness <clears throat> to him. He, stri- he doesn't strike out very much. Uh, a lot of times he walks more than he strikes out, which is a true measure of a player's great. And, uh, but yeah, just utterly phenomenal ball player. So you give it to him. You get to the pitching staff, you know, the Dodgers beyond the, the top two, you had Bert Hooten, who was a phenomenal number three mm-hmm. starter and all-star in his own right, MVP in the league championship series in 1981. Wonderful player for a long time, but there was no depth of five starters that could go. I mean, you know, you got Kershaw Bueller, one and two, and mm-hmm. you got some incredible talent with Dustin May, Julio Urias, who is, to me, he was, he, he He's was, incredible. he was the guy that people weren't really talking about. And, you know, he got, he closed out game seven of the NLCS. He closed out the World Series, got the last out. How many guys, think about this, seven guys in Major League history, in Dodger history, got the last out of a World Series. One of them did it twice. Koufax. Mm. And Julio Urias is one of them. Wow. And actually the the incredible thing is when I when I sit and I think about it, I believe six of the seven were by left-handed pitchers. Nice. Koufax did it twice. Johnny Padres did it once. Uh, Steve Howe did it one time. And Julio Urias. Oh no, five of the seven times because one of the times was Hershiser. So five of the seven were, and, the, and uh, I believe 1959 was Larry Sherry. But just think about that. But yeah, Julio Urias, 24 years old, kid from Mexico, got signed 16 years old. I mean, he gets the last out and he's walking around with the the flag of Mexico on his back. And, you know, to me, being a Mexican kid, you know, loving Fernando, there was the great pride of seeing Victor Gonzalez, who was the winning pitcher of the last game of the World Series, struck out the side, I believe it was in the sixth inning. Uh, So you had the win pitcher and the pitcher closing out the game both from Mexico and wow. uh and you know just incredible so I think quite honestly this Dodger team has a deeper pitching staff than that team where that team has a little bit of advantage they didn't strike out nearly as much as this team does which to me I think is very very important mm. Steve Garvey in his heyday rarely struck out 100 times I think the only guy who struck out more than 100 times was say but he walked a lot so I'd love to see that I'd love to see that but honestly at this uh this this group is one of the greatest combinations of one of the greatest, the deepest teams uh, I've ever seen, Dodgers or anywhere else. So I'd probably give a slight edge to this team. And you know how much it hurts my heart to that, you know, put anybody over the 77, 78 mm-hmm. Dodgers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Same here. Your breakdown was fantastic, though. I mean, everything that you're pulling out, I can try to be objective. Try. Try because obviously <laughs> seventy seven. It's very difficult. I mean, we we actually went to the games, got to meet some of the players. You're a kid, very impressionable. Got to meet Garvey, Say, Lopes, Baker, Dusty Baker. I met him a few times, and Reggie Smith at the time was my favorite player. <sighs> That was that was my guy back then as I was, I was pulling for them. But you're right. Even though he was my favorite Dodger then, obviously your tastes grow quite a bit as you grow. And this whole thing with Mookie, being able to say Mookie is better, that's an easy one to me. But I will say it's still a business. Sports is a business. So what's going to happen over the next couple of years? Do you know anything about contractually who may be coming to an end? Who might have to leave us? Who we may have to negotiate? We have to keep Mookie with that fat contract now. Who's going to... Oh, yeah. No matter how great you are, no one's going to, the reason why, you know, Boston had to let him go is they couldn't necessarily afford the guy. So what do you think is going to happen in the near term? Say the next two seasons, as far as who we're able to keep, who may possibly have to move on? Well, the incredible thing about this team is it's a 
a lot of these guys are under contract for a long time because they're young. Bellinger, Seeger, Will Smith, they're all under contract. Obviously, Mookie's under contract until you and I are going to be collecting Social Security. Uh, so <laughs> <Too far laughs> that's a, a long time, a dozen years, a dozen years. But, uh, but no, you look at that pitching staff. Walker Bueller is only, I think, mm-hmm. in his third year. So he's got three more years before he reaches free agency. Dustin May, he was basically a rookie. Tony Gonsolin, a rookie. Julio Urias, only in his third year. So these guys are going to be, these guys have staying power. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, mm-hmm. I believe, it has one more year on his contract beyond this. Uh, he might have two. I think I think he has two years. Kenley Jansen has one more year. Uh, the fans are kind of questioning whether they want to see him close anymore, which kind of breaks my heart. But, you know, it's meritocracy. You got to, uh, you know, it's it's all about results. And if you're not getting the wins, it's... Uh, yeah, they need to back off on that one. So he's, he's um, going to be okay. But the guys that are free agents this year are Justin Turner, uh, Kike Hernandez, uh, and Jock Peterson. So they're they're free agents. I think some mm-hmm. of the relief pitchers are are, are free agents. Blake Trinan being one of them, uh, who pitched so well during October. But again, you know, when it comes to the bullpen, there's always so much turnover in the bullpen. Uh, you know, when you get someone with sustained success like Kenley Jansen, it's borderline a miracle. But honestly, I mean, they're set up for a great repeat because they've got the young pitching staff that's really built up, and you got a you know a great one-two punch in Kershaw and, and Bueller. And you look at that lineup. I think the only guy who's going to be 30 years old next year is Muncie. Oh, Pollock is another guy. I think he's going to be going into his third year with the Dodgers. But really, and and it depends on if they bring back Justin Turner, because if they don't, they've got mm-hmm. a couple of young guys coming up behind him. Edwin Rios uh, hit a bunch of home runs this year. He could play third base. Max Muncie can move to third base. Somebody else can play first. Bellinger could move back mm-hmm. to Bellinger. first base. So it's, it, it's just an incredible collection of talent. Uh, there's more coming. There's another young stud catcher, Kiebert Ruiz, which I don't know how, how mm-hmm. you're going to make room for him because last I checked, you could only have one catcher at a time. Uh, but yeah, you just uh, look at these guys. They got more pitching coming. And one of the top rated prospects in all of baseball, Gavin Lux, got a lefty with a beautiful swing. He came up as a shortstop, but they're moving him to second. He might be your starting second baseman next year and you know be one of the top young players in the game. And so that's the thing. That's, the, that's where you get sustained success in baseball is just kind of having those young guys coming up right behind you know it's that's where it's kind of like a little bit like the nfl is very much the same way the nfl churns out young guys all the time from guys after they get a certain age they, they go out uh the nba is interesting the nba is different in that you know they get the young guys and it's like when they're 18 19 years old they're you know they just graduate you know they're a year out of high school and they they declare after their first year you kind of draft them and you grow them for a few years you, they, yeah. that's how you either get someone like Giannis or uh you're, you're or you don't and you end up picking somebody else and try and start over the process all over again. I think they're going to have out of the three primary leagues, I think the NBA is going to be in for the longest haul of making sure that they're the college divisions and the D League and things of that nature. I think they're going to have the toughest time in growing talent. Baseball's built for this with the farm system and football, they have the best by far because of college. The college football system is very healthy. 
I mean, if I were to put all the sports, I actually would shove college football in there. It does earn more money, probably. I think it's around second behind the NFL only. Um, it's massive. The rivalries in college football, 100 plus years, and there are at least over a dozen that have outgrown their original geographic area. Other people care about it. It doesn't matter if it's Texas versus Oklahoma, Red River. No. People on the East Coast will want to see that typically. People on the West Coast will want to see it. SEUCLA. Mm-hmm. It's primarily just in college football football. So they have by far the most interesting farm system, if you will. Baseball just has a great farm system compared to third place basketball. Basketball, these guys, like you were saying, these guys have been coming up so early and I don't care how good you are at the high school level. Basketball is different. It's just like the NFL not allowing someone, even if you're 300 pounds, if you're 18 years old, you're not going to go against a 280 pound guy that's 25 years old. You take your head off, you know, in football, you can't do it. It doesn't translate for the most part in basketball, unless you're Giannis. The same thing can happen. I don't care how talented the ball kids. Great, they're extremely talented. I love watching Lonzo Ball play. I thought he was oh, incredible. Yeah. But I knew even watching him at UCL, I was like, oh, man, he's gonna have to gain a good twenty pounds of muscle while trying to maintain that speed and ball handling. Because even guys that are much shorter in the at the NBA level, like a Chris Paul, these guys are built like brick. You know what? And oh yes, those young guys around and they're fast and they're they're just tough. And so NBA, I see more players flash out by the time they're 23, 24 years old. That come in early. Giannis, for the most part, he's like, uh, he's very similar to what a lot of my coaches have always said in basketball. So you can't teach height. So not that it takes away from his talent or his hard work, his work ethic or anything of that nature, but there is something that helps tremendously when you're 6'10", 6'11", and you can move <laughs> like a 6'1 guy. A 6'1 guy only has that he's 6'1". So you better be really special or Chris Paul is going to eat your lunch every day. A Steph Curry is going to eat your lunch every day. Or LeBron's bringing the ball up point. You have no shot. <laughs> so, oh my God, yeah. So basketball is a little bit different animal. It's going to be interesting to see if they can pick themselves back up. The ratings for many different reasons. They have to change course or they'll just be happy with getting what they get right now. But I think base, the potential health of baseball and football right now are just massive. I think they're going to grow at a much faster rate. I'm hoping that the NBA grows back at a, as fast a rate as those two, but I just see a couple of obstacles in the way in the coming years, unfortunately. The thing with the NBA, I think the NBA got hurt the most by the way this pandemic kind of shook up their season is that they were, you know, they were only about a month away from, you know, ending their season and starting the playoffs. And so where they were really hurt is having to play their biggest games, the NBA finals in October. And you're already up against football. You're up against Major League Baseball. There was just, it was overload at that point. I mean, the Lakers championship game went up against Sunday night football, which is the highest rated program even higher than Monday night. And it's tough. I mean, I I watched that one and then went over to the Sunday night football game. That's the, and and also what hurt Only because you're a Laker fan. And because I'm a Laker fan. And you know what? And the fourth quarter, I actually had to go pick up my daughter, but I didn't care because the Lakers were up by a whole bunch of points. They were, it was already over. But the thing is, I honestly think if if the NBA could have actually restarted in the bubble and done it so that they're playing their finals in August and not in October, Mm -hmm. I think they would have made it amazing ratings not having to compete with the NFL. Uh, I really think that October was was sports overload. I mean, I, I had, you know, su- the back-to-back Sunday nights, I had the Dodgers in game seven, one game, and then and then a week later, they're in game game seven of the NLCS. And then a week later, they're in game five of the World Series. And they're both both games are going up against Sunday night football. I got like one game on an iPad. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I got like the football game on an iPad. I got the Dodger game on the, uh, I, and I'm just trying the to, thing. 
I'm yeah. trying to watch both. I would have loved to see the NBA do this and, you know, do it in August. You never know. But I do love the fact that the NBA is going to restart its season and in December. And I've heard that they're going to play through July. And I think I think they're going to make, as long as they can get fans in fairly soon during that, I think they're going to make up a lot. And uh, and I think they, they, they will do amazing ratings in July, you know, when really it's only baseball that they're competing against. They're not competing against the NFL yet. Well, I, I think all also, we don't have to dive too deep into it. I do think the political piece did play, did oh, have yeah. an adverse effect as well. I think there'll be more time behind that. So that will kind of fade. They've already mentioned Adam Silver has stated that he's going to remove most of that. Players can say what they want in their own time, as they should. You know, anyone can go and do whatever they want to do. But as far as putting the product on screen, I know for a fact that it did turn a lot of fans off. Football has been pretty good about being a little bit more, because they've always been much more corporate just in their presentation. That's okay. Baseball, for the most part, kept it very tight as well. I think the NBA, when they stated, I think it was last week, Adam Silver came out and stated, that more than likely we're going to begin on Christmas Day. I actually think that's pretty good. I think it would do right by them because this is an Olympic Olympic year. I think this Olympics is going to be huge. I think there are going to be so many storylines. Storylines drive everything, uh, right? Every sport. I think the storylines mm-hmm. of who didn't make the cut, it's just a year too late in all countries around the world. I think there are going to be so many stories like that. Plus, who was able to now make it as a result of giving an extra year to train, heal, playing sports, any kind at that level is very very taxing. That's the one thing people don't realize. These people are uber humans. These athletes today, compared to when you and I came up, we love the guys that we grew up watching, but they're physically no match for these guys today. It's not even close. No. <laughs> it's not even close. I, I mean, every, so, every, every generation, the training and the way they diet and they take care of themselves and the way they take care of their bodies, it's just, it, it just keeps improving that much more. And yeah, it's still, it's such a phenomenal thing. You know, it's I mean, interesting think, on that note. I I've always said, not to cut you off, man, but people give Brady and LeBron so much credit as they should as far as taking care of themselves and basically blazing a path for those behind them to say, hey, if you really want some longevity in the sport that we love, this is how you do it. People always, and this guy, he happens to be a former Laker, never gets enough credit in just about anything this guy does. There's never been, in my opinion, a seven-footer that played at such a high level like Kareem. And there was a reason for that. Kareem, before LeBron, before Brady, um, this guy was taking care of his body in a way that everyone else was looking at him and you know guys from back then they were still smoking in the locker room and yeah. carrying on about things kareem was mr zen you know so he was all about and the fact that he was seven two playing with chucks you know he wore chucks back then for the most part yeah for the majority of his career this guy you see him today there's nothing too crazy that i've seen from him today what is he what is he in his 70s now where yes. he has that you know that weird seven footer I'm hurt, hurting in every single joint that you see of a lot of players today. I saw Wilt quite a bit the last five years of his life, and he was physically not well. Had quite oh. a few conversations with him, but he had that he had the forever bends on certain parts. But when you're that big and you're playing with what we know now was just subpar by today's standards, obviously their bodies had to be beat up. But Kareem lasted what 21, 22 years, something like that, yeah. And he could still score every now and then when he felt like it, or when, the, when it called called. 
for it, 20 points a game. And that was at the end. And so he doesn't get enough credit, just like he doesn't get enough credit as he should be in the conversation of when they say the greatest basketball player ever. I personally think Kareem's the greatest basketball player of all time because he won at all levels. Michael Jordan is by far the best professional basketball player of all time. That's my opinion. (laughs) LeBron, of course, is going to be up there, but Kareem gets zero credit. Zero. I think, you know, the crazy thing is, uh, well, I think part of it is when the NBA really started to reach its zenith in the 80s, he was was still great, but he was not, you know, the flashy player. You know, it was magic running the break. If the break slowed down, then it's like, okay, wait for the big fella. And it's like, okay, throw it in the Kareem, swing left, shoot right, right, you know, the skyhook. I've only seen, I only remember seeing that get blocked one time and that was by Ralph Sampson who was taller than him. So one of the few people who was taller than him. But, uh, oh yeah. But I mean, I look I, I look at Kareem. I mean, he he was so graceful. I mean, he and, and you know what? He was one of the players who really did yoga. Uh, and, and you know, you talked about, you know, taking martial arts, yourself. yoga. Yeah. Stuff, and I yeah. think it, it was funny. I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw the uh, 30 for 30 that ESPN did on Bruce Lee. And uh, yeah, they did that over the summer. It was, it was uh, about a month or two after The Last Dance came out. And, and it was phenomenal. Kareem was all over it because he he studied mm-hmm. under Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he talked about that. And, and Game of Death, what, one of my favorite Bruce movies. Yeah, and what it did Kareem put him. that size 20 in the middle of Bruce Lee's chest. <laughs> Pow, sitting down. <laughs> but it was, but, but it was something that made, you know, that's, that, that was part of what made him great, the way he took care of himself, the way he took yes. care of the whole body and the mind. And, and Was he and, a vegetarian? I believe he was. Or, or if I think not, he was a early. I don't think he was like the... Uh, the Bill Walton type of vegetarian because my dad used to complain about it all. He loved Bill Walton because he came from UCLA. My dad used to say, well, if that boy would eat some meat, he would break his bones all the time, you know? <laughs> so, you know Bill Walton evidently was hurt quite a bit. Oh, yeah, Kareem rarely was, was hurt. That boy doesn't eat meat, so that's why he's all, and I'm like, well, I don't think Kareem eats meat, and he'd give me a look and I'm, I just let it go. <laughs> You know what? I, I'm pretty sure he does. He is a vegetarian. Yeah. I mean, it just, I think a lot of stuff has come out um, about eating, you know, more plant-based and actually one of these days, my wife and I may do a podcast on that because uh, mm. we're at home, we're completely plant-based and mm-hmm. uh, and I really thought I was going to miss it, but it's food tastes good no matter what. And, uh, you know, occasionally dabble in it when it's outside and when we're outside, either at family get togethers or places where you just, you know, there's no other options, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, of great stuff out there. Netflix put together this uh, movie called Game Changers, you know, mm-hmm. talking about plant-based eating. And it was really eye-opening how the, some of these world-class athletes who don't eat any meat. And I mean, one of the biggest guys I saw, world champion powerlifter, he, I think he had a shirt that was like, you know, powered by plants or something like that. And they showed him like moving a thousand pounds or something like that. And, and mm-hmm. like walking with it for, for like 60 feet and set a world record. And it was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's for another podcast. (laughs) But I want to thank you for taking the time to sit with us today at the bunker. Everyone go out and support Jorge, Hector, and Ricky. These guys are not only extremely entertaining, but man, do they dive deep into all things football. And we're talking about American football here, for those of you that want to play that little silly game. The real football, in my opinion. I like soccer. I love football. Yeah, Latinos, <laughs> so, lo- Latinos love American football too. And, uh, that's right. And, and, that's and Clyde, right. I, I just, I, you know, I'm giving you a, a shout out right now. You've been a friend for more than, uh, you know, almost 40 years now. And, uh, you know, we, grew, we practically grew up together. But honestly, you know, uh, folks, keep following the bunker. I mean, this is going to be fun stuff. Clyde's going to keep everything fresh. 
rush, get deep dives, but he's going to be something that I can't wait. I'm going to be, I'm already a big Clyde fan and I'm going to be a big bunker fan on top of it too. It's going to be Say fun. hey to everybody out there that we know. We'll talk with all of you soon. Take care. Uh, take care. Adios. Adios, my man. Thank <laughs> you.